from Grooveview Studios in Columbus, Ohio, this is Getting the Brand Back Together, a podcast exploring the interdisciplinary art of banding, branding, and business building. Rock and roll relic, poet, writer, and brandist, I'm your host, Brad Cerconi. Today, we're joined by Rusty Ranny, the CEO of Live Technologies. I am honored to have you on. And I'm glad to be here. Sharing the stage with you again. Yes, that's right. In a different way. Yeah. A few years later. Yeah. <laughs> well said. Just to give this idea of banding and branding, full disclosure, Rusty's company right now is a client of ours. We're working through a rebrand in a very exciting time. And so I probably know more about you and your business than anybody else I've had on this podcast. So that makes it very friendly. And one of the things that I wanted to discuss is just, I think it's always intriguing how you get in the entertainment business, no matter what side of the stage you're on, the side of the stage, the front of the stage, or, you know, like Scott Steinecker does, owning the venue. So your calling was as a lighting director, correct? Correct. So why don't you tell our, our listeners a funny story, I call it the little green van story, about how you got started in the business and live tech is a live technologies is a powerhouse in the midwest now uh, when it comes to live event productions to video curation all those sorts of things fabrication printing rusty's team does all of that but it came from a very humble place a while back so why don't you take us through how you began building the business as one guy with a dream to do lighting direction. I started off, you know, like had a couple of friends that uh, had a band in high school uh, <laughs> and I didn't play anything. So I had to find a role there and just <laughs> hanging out isn't enough sometimes. Right. You know, so got to have a job. Got to have a job. There was a, uh, Lighting and sound involved. I didn't really like sound that much. So uh, I gravitated towards doing the lighting and immediately enjoyed it. So, you know, this was a, a group of guys that were uh, all from kind of the neighborhood and they were actually really talented. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they started uh, this band, put it together along the way. I was working in the hardware industry. That was my job out of high school was I got a job at Smith Brothers Hardware, which was a hardware wholesaler company. And now a beautiful building downtown. It is, yeah. Yeah, that's multi-use, multifunctional. Yep, and every and then when I go to an event there, I go find my desk spot too when I when I'm in the building again. But so that was kind of uh, what I did for a couple of years out of high school and on weekends I worked with this band and they were called Tough Stuff. Yeah, and they played the coolest club in town. They played the Sugar Shack. Yes, I remember weekends. the Sugar Shack. You know, it was a lot of fun working with them. And since I worked at a hardware wholesaler, I could make lighting gear and get everything for cost or out of the dumpster at the end of end the, of the week. day. Right, yeah. right. So I started building some lights and I built a light board, which we called the Thrush Board. And we called it that because it had a, we had a thrush muffler sticker that we put on it. <laughs> and people would come up and ask us, hey, what kind of board is that? We'd go, eh, that's a thrush. 
And you know the guy, thrush one thousand. Yeah, and the guy would invariably reply, "Oh yeah, those are good boards." <laughs> Branding, yeah. Branding already. Thrush, you know, they were great. They had that uh, Roadrunner was part of their logo. Okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> anyways, so the uh, the Thrush board was one of the first things we built. We yeah. started off building some lights with Army surplus food cans and just putting some sockets in them and and colored bulbs. But that didn't work because they weren't very bright. So we quickly went to the brightest white ones we could find that would burn the hell out of those sockets in no time. <laughs> and uh, putting gels over them. So we okay. were real pros. Right and you got the gels from the hardware store at cost. I did not. Where'd we, you get the gels? We went and got the gels at uh, some, it's now probably 120 years old scenic company in downtown Columbus, Shell Scenic Studios. Is it still there? It is still there. So you would go from the Smith Brothers hardware that was really a hardware. Yep. Have your little cans. Yep. And get your gels there. Yep. That's cool. So we did the, you know, I had those lights and I built them up and had a little bit of fun. And then, you know, after a year or so, this band broke up like all bands do. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah. So they, they broke up. And uh, the next week I got a call from a different band in town. And they said, hey, can we rent your lights from you? Now, how many like, lights do you have here? How many army surplus cans? I mean, are there 10 lights or there 20? So there's there's about, there's 50? about 16 lights at this time. That's and, it. That's and, all you got. And we were past the food cans now. So okay, we had okay. bought some real you lights. You had real lights. And but uh, you only had 16. I had 16, yeah. <laughs> okay. So we had uh, six for the front wash, three colors. Okay. Amber, red, blue front wash. And we had 10 that we could do the... Uh, all the, the lights behind the band. Backline. And, and occasionally, we'd sneak a couple of them down on the floor underneath the cymbals so we could make the drummer light up. Right, you know, right. Cool effect. It was a cool effect. So, 16 lights, got 125 150 bucks out of them for the week. And For I a like, week, I want you all to hear that. Yeah. Lighting for bands at 125 a week is how you started it. That was your revenue stream. Yeah. At, at the very at the very beginning, very the beginning. very first yeah, yeah, yeah. starting kind of week, yeah, yeah, and yeah. Uh, and that was cash, mind you, in those right. days. And I right. was nineteen years old, so that was a lot of money. Right. My rent was a hundred dollars a month at the time, <laughs> so you know. So then, a few other bands around town broke up, and I bought all their lighting systems. Off okay, of off the money you were making yeah. with your current sixteen props. Yep. Okay. So. Within a year, I had four systems around town making 150 to 200 bucks a week. I'm still 19 years old, right? 19, 20 years old, and making 600, 800 bucks a week in 1979, 1980. But it was, uh, it was good, and I just kind of poured the money back into it as I needed to travel around town. You asked about the green van. Yeah, so the green van. Yeah. So now you have to travel because you have too many clients. Yeah, and right. I had to move these systems occasionally between right. clubs and a couple of the clubs. And you had no way to do that. I was kind of touring with already oh, you know, okay. on a local basis, okay. you know, a regional basis. Okay. So I went to my dad and I said, Hey, you know, I needed some more stuff for the lighting thing. So I needed 500 bucks. And, uh, and I said, And uh, I need your van. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, hey, you gave that one. That's the cherry on top. I need the 500 now. Yeah. And the van's mandatory. Yeah. <laughs> 
like he had plenty of cars around. We used to okay. we we did a lot with uh, different uh, muscle cars and stuff yeah, in those yeah. days. So he was he was one of the original flippers of muscle cars. Okay, you know, he'd, cool. He'd buy one cheap, you know, put a couple hundred bucks in it, and flip it, flip it. Yeah. So. So we always had something around. And I looked up the van. It's a Dodge van, right? Wasn't yeah. it a Dodge van? It was, yeah. yeah. But A100. It's an A100. Well, anyways, it, it was painted this weird kind of turquoise green color <laughs> because it came from, it used to belong to the city of Lancaster Department of Public Works. And so that they, was their brand color. That was their brand color. Yes, was that uh, turquoise green, right. whatever it was. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> All right, so you get the van. You've now got lighting systems. Some you're touring with. Some you are at venues that are being rented out to the venue or to the band. How'd that work at a venue? The venue paid you or the band paid you? Mostly the band did. Okay. But what I would do is, you know, I would just run down the schedule. Who's going to be here the next four weeks? And I'd call up all the bands. Oh, so you you were doing direct sales. Yeah, you were doing direct sales. You want me to leave the lights in? You know, I got a nice lighting system in there finally. And invariably, they said yes, you know. And my weekend consisted of driving around to these different clubs around town and buying a couple beers for some guys to run the systems for the bands in there and and collecting money. You know, occasionally I got stiffed, you know, by a band that uh, didn't sell any tickets. And, but... I always had the next week and I still right. had the gear so I could right. still make some money later on off of it. And, right. and I was ahead. And I, you know, I, I poured a lot of that money right back into to doing something with okay. them. Okay, so now you've got, you've got cash flow, you've mm-hmm. got customers. Yep. You've got, and they're reliant, it's habitual, they're reliant on your product. Yep. Because they have shows. And, I had, and we had a, a company name and a business card too. And what was the name of the the brand then? Lighting Masters. Lighting Masters. Yeah. I don't know if you told me that the first time. Yep. Okay. There's now a company around town called Master Lighting. So I laugh whenever <laughs> I see their trucks around town. All right. So you begin building the company up. Now I've got a question for you. Yeah. How did you get trained in lighting? How, did you just learn on the go? How'd you learn? Well, you know, I loved music uh-huh. f- forever. You right. Know, I, I grew up in San Francisco. My mom was a hippie, so I grew up in San Francisco around the bands of the day. Wow. You know, all the greatest and bands. And what year of the are day. we talking about? What? 1966, yeah, 67, wow. 68. So you're at the apex. I'm eight years of the old. Whole hate Ashbury thing. Yes. And I'm seeing Jimi Hendrix play in Panhandle Park, you know, on the back of a Hertz truck. What? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Eight years old. Uh, there's actually. Uh, and your mom was all for this. Oh, you yeah. had no restrictions on rock and roll. She was pissed. She didn't know the concert was happening. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the one who's hanging out in the park all day. So I find the concert. Right, right. Okay. Wow. And they used to do in San Francisco, one of the things that the bands would do is they would rent these Hertz trucks, flatbed trucks, and they'd get a generator. Yeah. And they would take the stakes off of one side of it and they'd put their gear up there. And they would go drive down Haight Street and play a song or two. And then they'd pull over in the park and they'd have a concert until the cops came and kicked them out. Kicked them out. And so, and so that's your early impression of rock and roll for you, though. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's an unbelievable story. Yeah. You're not going to, that's not going to happen in Sandusky, Ohio. 
I That's all I'm so. saying. Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> That's pretty cool. So you actually saw Hendrix. Who else did you see? Do you remember any other bands that were doing that kind of stuff well, at that age? Big Brother and the Dead were there. The Dead lived right across the street from my <laughs> two friends that I hung out with all the time. That's amazing. So, so we used to bother them and yeah. and uh, bum firecrackers off of them and stuff. And, right. But Wow, what a story. <laughs> so you decide to get into... Lighting. When did that occur to you? Just when you said about I got to be around the band, I got to pick some kind of job, and I didn't like sound, so you chose lighting. Yeah, but I've talked to some of your employees. They say your art form to lighting is unbelievable. You've invented some things in lighting, and that was that was kind of like the second phase of my company was trying to differentiate myself completely. Okay, now you're talking brand, so you're in my wheelhouse. So yeah. tell me, you haven't told me this story. So first, before we go there, though, how do you grow the company to that mid-level to differentiate yourself? You're, you said you had these n- number of lighting systems out. How long do you do that, Rusty, before you begin this differentiation process? So that was like 1982 or so, and I had picked up a few things, and uh, the Agora was closed at the time. So I was, uh, I was kind of around town. I, I took this one like eight-month sabbatical where I moved to Florida. I was going to just move to Florida because there was bands everywhere. everywhere. And the weather is good. Yeah. And there was a whole circuit down there that I could go get on with a band and work that circuit. And Smart. And I thought I'd give that a try. And I figured that was going to be a, a place to go start up the company. And... I did that and partially because I, I was doing now Rosa Villa at the time, which just popped up for sale this week in case you're looking for a club to buy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you and I will get right on that. Yeah, but anyways, the uh, they had a, all the concerts started going there when the Agora was closed. I remember. Yeah. So, Which helped it make its brand name locally. Otherwise, those shows, if they wouldn't have been funneled there, I'm not sure that it would have happened to the Al Rosa. Yeah. So I did a lot of great artists, you know. That in, had to come through place. there. Had to come through there. Because there was no other venue in Columbus at the time. Yeah. Okay. And that was, you know, kind of really, really early. Right, I guess right before MTV started breaking okay. out, you know. And, and so there was lots of cool bands that played there. Rat played there on their first tour. The Romantics, I remember the Romantics playing there the week that uh, Talking in Your Sleep broke. Yeah. And I can remember like the audience singing along and the band members looking at each other on stage. They know the song. Can you believe this? People know our song. Right. You know, but. uh, Now, were you running lights for them then? I was running lights for the club. For the club, yeah. Okay. So everybody that came in there and there was great metal bands too, like Accept and Gary Moore played there. Yeah, yeah. So there was lots of cool artists at the time that came through there and I got a lot of concert things and I picked up a gig with Humble Pie for a little while and went out on the road with them through there. But all the time I was leaving my lighting systems around and and coming Investing, reinvesting, creating a lighting system and you leave it. Yep. And then I... uh, How's that for product placement? That's that's called functional branding, right? That's brilliant. (laughs) I didn't know what it was called. It It was instinct. Yeah, you know? well, good instinct because yeah. you make it habitual. Once they see the effect of the light on the show and how the bands feel about it, how do they get rid of you? Right. Right? Oh, and that was from the very beginning, since I had so much music that, you know, went around in my head all the time, I, I kind of had this feel for where every dynamic was in a song. And so I had this style that 
I knew the dynamics of the songs and I knew how to highlight them. Mm. And I would, before I did a tour of any kind, I would study the music. You know, I would listen, break down the songs, you know. And so what are you looking there for? You're, you're looking to amplify and nuance wherever the song is nuancing, right? Somewhat. I, I looked so at it from what, a lot higher power structure. Okay. I wanted big changes when the music old drama it, when the music changed i okay. didn't want to be flashing every little note okay okay and, and that was a big problem of people in those days so, so there were the, lighting so, guys that came in and they thought they were playing an organ or something yeah it's, it's the bass player and the drummer hitting the crash at the same time yes and that's where the lights change i gotcha yeah now you're talking my lingo yeah. i got it okay so that was part of what so that's I part understood. of your personal brand of what, as yeah. an artist, as, as a lighting director. That's Absolutely. artistic. Yeah. And those are the decisions you were making. Yeah. Okay. And then, you know, I started reading about color and, and the types of light and, and paying attention to angles. Mm-hmm. And I was really, really focused on getting different angles than okay. most other people did. Because everybody would walk into some bar or some theater right. and they would hang lights in the same places. And so everything looked the same. So I started putting lights on the floor. I started bolting lights to the drummer's set. You know? <laughs> I mean, I would find ways to get different angles so that the beams coming off of them looked different to everybody. And at that time, there was it, a smoke machine was mandatory. You know? I understand. Now, now they have the, the 80s. They have these wonderful hazers that can fill the air up with atmosphere now to make the lights look good. But. And I'm sure you you have a few of these. Oh yes, okay. yes, yeah, yes. Yeah, we use those a lot for yeah. for entertainment. Yeah, I understand. Not for the corporate world, right? Right, now, right, right. So, anyways, along the way, uh, that started petering out a little bit, and there was a, it was kind of an in between time for some of the bigger bands in the re- region, and at that time, regional bands. It was like a concert every night. No, it was huge. It was a big deal. Yeah, it was yeah. different than the way people treat a a gig now. Now they're okay with walking onto a little corner stage. Right. This was serious. In a 75-person bar. Exactly. And you can see a great artist doing that. At the time, it was, you know, these were 1,200 people a night out to see local bands putting on concerts. Right, right. You know, so. And that was part of what we did. So anyways, another couple of guys, you know, hit the lottery or something and they went out and they bought lighting systems exactly like mine. Started renting them out for half. And right then, the Florida opportunity came up. So I went to Florida for eight months and left town and uh, came back at the end of one of the runs uh, with this band I was with. They were not working very hard. They had great talent, but they were just not really into working very hard. Mm-hmm. And the guys didn't have any money. And I got paid every week. And they would all borrow money off of me until I didn't have any. And then I, as soon as they got paid the next week, I had to get the money back from Quickly. them. Quickly. You know? But anyway, so we, uh, it, it was not that much fun being in Florida. I worked with a band that was actually the genesis of Warrant. Oh, yeah. So Janie Lane. Yeah. And he was like this scared 18-year-old kid who like had his back to the audience. He didn't even look at the audience while he played. And then within a few years, he was the guy climbing the PA, you know, and, and uh, you know, had the wild, long, blonde hair, right. you know, I remember. everywhere. But, and he was a great singer and frontman, always one of the best. But 
Anyway, so he was very young at the time. That was one of the bands that I worked with in Florida. But anyway, so I decided to come back, came back to Columbus, and I had this idea because I had played around with these lights a few times. Mm -hmm. And there was an aircraft landing lamp that would fit inside the PAR-64 cans, which were the staple of I the lighting I just love these that days. you know the details of the can numbers. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so I had played around with these things, and they had unbelievable beams. And so I knew that I could make a local club or even a, you know, a regional club. I could make a band look like Iron Maiden in there with these things. So I started a project and I took another two months off at just building these things. So I built, I don't know, 160 some of these lights and I still had my other lights that were going to be my general front wash. Yeah, and I yeah. built these ACLs and I started putting them out in packages of like 56 or 72 or something like that. And everybody else at the time is doing clubs with like 16 or 20 lights. Right. And all of a sudden, I'm putting 72 plus the wash up there. And there's 84 lights in a right. club, you know, and people are paying me double of what I was getting paid before I left. Even though you had the competitive fire from this other group that had come in and slashed your prices because you differentiated. Yeah. These lights were so much cooler than anything else that anybody was doing. So you just repositioned the company. You made them the uncool. Yeah. And you became the cool. Yeah. And everybody had to use mine or they looked uncool too. <laughs> So every band, every band is in competition. So that was really, a, that was, yeah, 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 I know. Yeah. So that was really a tipping point. Yep. So I built those things. Immediately was when wow. Scott started to do the Newport. Yeah. And he, he came to Columbus and he asked around, he asked, you know, like McGuffey Lane, who were mm -hmm. the big Atlantic artists at the time in town, who do you guys use? And, you know, I asked some of the other musicians and people in the industry around town, who do you use? And they were all going rusty, rusty, rusty. 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 So he and I got together and talked and I put the lighting package together for uh, the Newport. We put a nice deal together and it worked really nice for, uh, I think we did nine years together. I was going to say, he said it. almost 10 years. Yeah. So we did, I think it was nine years and I ended up selling him the system. Uh, at that point when we were done with it. And I went out on the road. I started picking up a bunch with all the rest of the lights. I started booking other things on the road and building a lot more of them actually okay. because they were so successful. And I started going out on the road with uh, some uh, bands out of Nashville. Mm -hmm. and uh, Which you still love to go to. I still love Nashville. Yes. Yes, it's my... It's, it's a favorite second or third town to go hang in. So. It is, it is for yeah. both of us. Mm-hmm. So I, I uh, started going out on the road quite a bit, uh, hired a few people to uh, work, you know, in Columbus and manage the Newport and stuff. And actually the Newport, there's a funny story about that, was the opening night was uh, Neil Young. He, he just... Scott probably talked about that. I said, how, what was your first band that you did there? And yeah. he didn't even, he said that he didn't have the clout to be the booking agent. Mm -hmm. He got it from another friend of his. I remember who the guy was. Yeah, yeah. And to bring in Neil Young, and and um, he said at the end of the night, uh, what he just said on the podcast is the end of the night. He had to. He was out of money. He had to use the bar money. That's all he had. The bar cash. Wow. To keep the place going. That's amazing. Yeah. But go yeah. ahead. I don't want to interrupt you. So, story. anyways, uh, so you're you're there the same night that Scott's talking about. Yeah. So I'm doing the lights, and it's unbelievable. So, 
So one of the things that we did at the time was whenever we picked up a show, say at the Palace Theater or anywhere that we picked up a show in, in our town or in the surrounding areas here, we would call the band and say, hey, you doing other dates in the region here? Can we help you in Indiana or Southern Ohio or Cleveland, whatever you're doing? And invariably, if we got called first, they would go, yeah, we'd love to carry some gear. Have you guys just carry it and do like five or six shows for us. Sure. So we had done that with Neil Young and uh, I got to know. So that's how you got the LD job then with, with Neil Young at the time. So yeah, we were talking to the road manager. Right. The person who was doing lights for him got hurt on the gig the night before. And timing is everything. So I run the lights for the two nights at the Newport because uh, that was a two night deal. And then they got it. They're going to go finish. So we're already booked to do two other shows yeah. that week with yeah. them. One of them, really interesting show, and it's legendary in Springfield, Ohio was the band was the International Harvesters band. So it was the only tour he did as uh, Neil Young and the International Harvesters. And that was kind of his whole formation into this uh, farm aid thing. Right. I was going to say, that's where the name comes from. And International Harvester is right there in Springfield. You pass it on the road. That's where the factory was. Yeah. So Neil apparently bought a club out there. And gave all the tickets to all the people who worked at International Harvester. <laughs> of course, Neil Young did that. Yeah. That's the coolest. Yeah. So we did that show. And there's actually a really cool article about it online about, it was like, this guy wrote, it was 30 years ago today that Neil Young played a, a show in in Springfield, Ohio. And uh, it was actually a big club. I mean, it was, they, there was like 2,000 people there okay, for the okay, show. So okay. it was a pretty good sized club. Yeah. And they need they needed to do the rest of the tour, so they right. said, "Hey, you want to finish the tour with us?" Right. And I was like, "Well, yeah." I said, <laughs> "So what the you problem do? was?" The pro- I said, "The problem here is that this is like my first night having this gig here in the at the Newport." You know, I said, "It's no problem." I told them that I would have people working the lights while I was doing other stuff, but that they probably do expect me to be here a fair amount. But yeah, so how'd you work that out? So I just went. You know, Steinecker it's like joining was, the circus. You're going to go, you know? That's exactly what I say in the song Jazz Clone Clown. Yeah. The circus is coming to down today, right? Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. You just go take off. Right. And, and see what comes out of it. And you worry about consequences later. Later, but, right. So I got to do, you know, 30 days with them that's on the awesome, road. That's awesome, And it was cool. And, you know, they ended up at the Austin City Limits as the last show and everything. And That's a great story. Yeah. I didn't know you were on the road with them that long. Yeah. So... And, you know, and, and then it's just like you come back home and I'm doing clubs again this right. the next weekend, you know. And then over the years and years, you've built that, mm-hmm. obviously, and you're still in the entertainment side of the business, but you've also added other things such as the whole corporate event side that you guys are famous for. Yeah, so uh, in, the, in the 80s, the, the rest of the 80s, I basically established relationships in Nashville and... I worked with a lot of different bands out of there, some country artists, some contemporary Christian artists. One of them was a band called White Heart that has morphed into, they're, they're part of the music fabric of Nashville these yeah, days. I know the, yeah, I know the name. As producers and, uh, you know, and they had famous guys in the band. Dan Huff, who produces everybody, was the original guitar player. 
Gordon Kennedy was the guitar player most of the time when I was there. Okay. And he's now Garth Brooks' guitar player. And him and his brother write a lot of songs that ever, that are really famous. Gordon wrote the uh, song um, Change the World that Eric Clapton won all the Grammys with. Really? Yeah. So Gordon and Tommy, the bass player for Whiteheart, wrote that song. And the drummer uh, was Keith Urban's musical director for 10 years. Chris McHugh, he's one yeah. of the most famous uh, session musicians yeah. in Nashville these yeah. days. So. And, and, and they're all involved at some level. So that's level. your, that, yeah. that's, that's, you have a whole other, I've yeah. been to Nashville just to write songs when Geffen sent us out there just to mix the band up a little bit. My cousin mm -hmm. Rick and I would go to Nashville and write songs out there. One of the bands that I worked with a lot was uh, uh, Marty Stewart, who's a, another Earl Scruggs and Johnny Cash kind of guy. Yeah. Icon. And he's the historian of Nashville. You yeah. Know, he knows well all said. that old yeah. music stuff. So, Cater dinner, uh, dinner at catering, and Marty Stewart telling stories about Johnny Cash was pretty interesting to sit around for that. I bet, <laughs> I bet. Yeah. So, anyways, we did that. I, I toured all over the world at that time with those guys. So I went to seventeen different countries during the late '80s uh, as part of this. All the time feeding my road money back into building the company. Right. Uh, back here, and I had some solid people by then that were a part of it. Sean Lovenguth, who's still with me today. How many employees did you have at that time? Three or four. Okay. Yeah. And, and Sean, Sean, Sean was very early. Wow. He, uh, he actually, it's funny because uh, I love to bring this up because it's a, actually a really cool moment. But his first show with me was at the Newport running Spotlight, and Metallica was the artists that night, but they were third on the bill. They were the low. Yeah. So they opened for the opener. They opened, yeah. They It was Wasp, Armored Saint, and Metallica as the opening act. <laughs> and those guys rolled in in a van. And Wasp was the headline? Wasp was the headline, yeah. yeah. And those guys rolled in in a van late in the afternoon, all needed a shower. Yeah. You know, the, they were all laying on their instruments and, yeah. and pillows on top of their instruments yeah. and stuff and just threw the stuff out into the alley, into the back of the stage and just went in there and lit the place up. I mean, they were... They were unbelievable. Was, so you knew when you saw them. That's what I want to talk to you yeah. about. So you know that moment, there's a band that is not going to be in these parts long, they're destined. It's different. All of a sudden, there is like, oh my God, what is this energy on stage, you know? Right. It's, That's pretty amazing. Yeah. It was definitely way, way different than the the, the middle band. Right, right, right. <laughs> at, at, at least Wasp had a gimmick. Right, know? right, right, right. So I did all that. And uh, around 91, 92, the road started getting a little tiring. Imagine that. And uh, started thinking about, well, you know, I got this company now. And this thing is built up through all these years. And it's a, a real company. And it's not, my interests are not being looked after. There's other people involved. There's uh, somebody that shouldn't be an accountant that's an, an accountant. accountant. I and, understand. And things are going on, you know. So I, I want to make sure that the company starts getting better. So I uh, start paying attention to that. You know, we made a few moves around as to uh, myself and my partner uh, who was going to run certain parts of the operation. Mm -hmm. 
we both couldn't run the same parts. Right. I understand that. So, I mean, we always got along and he's still with us today. He's actually retiring soon and uh, he's a legend in the business and I'm happy to have stayed in business with him all these years and, uh, and let him retire on his own terms. That's great. You know, he got, he got bought out of the company in 2008, but he's still uh, a major contributor over right. all these years. Right. But so anyways, we start paying attention to the, to the company and what it's about. We're, we're trying to do a, some different type of work. Uh, it's not just all entertainment. We don't want to be out, outdoors doing uh, county fairs, you yeah. know, country artists, uh, mud and dust tours, they used to call them. And uh, on racetracks, you know, at, at the, uh, during the fair. So that was part of, of what we did a lot of. And we wanted to kind of move on from that. So one of the things that was happening to us was that people were saying, hey, you guys understand sound and lights. Can you come install that in our church or our school or whatever? And we started doing that and we did it really badly because we were trying to do it with the same crew and the same tools and different everything. Different skill set. It is a totally different skill set and a different mindset for being on a construction schedule as opposed to a show schedule. Right. So we were behind on everything. We didn't know <laughs> how to work and get permits and, you know, all that stuff you need to do in the construction world to, yeah. to not get drummed out of it. So Dave started taking over that part of the business and I started taking over the live events side of the business, you know, which was the sound and lighting. And you're referring to Dave Mead, Dave Mead, who's yep. your longtime partner. Yep. We're doing that. We're spinning off this part of the company and making it a new business. And we're figuring out what sound and lights is going to look like. Mm -hmm. We're thinking about our name. We were we had the same name as a company in Indianapolis that Dave and the owner of that company had made a hippie handshake deal back in the <laughs> 80, early 80s. And uh, so now you're starting to th think about branding in the business. Yeah. Right. It's not about bands anymore. Yeah. Though it's still part of the business. Yep. It's a serious brand move here. Yeah. And we're also starting to get a little aware of other things like building scenery mm -hmm. and corporate events. Right. We started out a little bit uh, around corporate events by uh, corporate events that had entertainment involved in right. them. So we would do, say, like the National Eagles Convention, right? You know the Fraternal Order Eagles, whatever that is. Right. And they would have like one of my favorite moments uh, at the time was Florence Henderson, <laughs> and it was so funny because you know she had a really really good show. Uh huh. I met with her before the show to go over the lighting. To go over the lighting. Uh huh. And. You know, and I'm still kind of a rock and roller. I got long hair. I've seen your you know, picture. And I'm here meeting with Mrs. You're Brady. <laughs> Mrs. Brady. You know, and talking about her show. It's like angel meets Satan. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't that bad. <laughs> but anyway, so she... All we're, right, you're, you were temptation then. <laughs> yes, yes. So we're sitting there talking and everything, going through it. And she tells me, you know, how it goes. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I do shows of... I, You know, I, I've done... Everyone from Tony Bennett to Metallica now. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I know how the flow of a show goes and I know what belongs where right. as far as doing that. So we do this show and she does Desperado as her closer. <laughs> 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 you know, what a cowgirl she is. And uh, 
<laughs> and I do one of my things that I, one of my signature lighting effects that I like to do at the time, which was to fade all the spotlights out and have one spotlight yeah, single down. drop, a single beam. Yeah, coming right down on her head. So for the last Desperado in there. And she like tears up and starts going on on the stage about, I forgot my lighting book today. And this kid, Rusty, totally nailed this show and everything. Florence like, Henderson. Florence says. Henderson. So there you go. <laughs> so that was a funny moment. <laughs> but anyways, we started doing, so we're doing events like that. And, you know, and they come easy to us because it's entertainment. Right. And, uh, and we started getting a lot more opportunities. We got an amazing one with Philip Morris where we got to do, I mean, the royalty of the industry. We did Elton John, Rod Stewart, Billy Joel, Seinfeld and Cosby, you know. all Everybody who's anybody. Everybody who's at the top of the heap in those days and getting paid big bucks, you know, to come play these. All from events. a little green van, I want you to know. From the great little green van, yeah. <laughs> By then we had trucks, but. Yeah, no, but I'm saying it all came yeah. from your army cans. That's right. And my dad's 500 bucks. Right. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. We're doing this and we're starting to build up a little bit more corporate and we're thinking about what's the company name supposed mm -hmm. to be. Mm -hmm. And Dave and the guy with the hippie handshake deal in Indianapolis get into a little tussle about this. Turns into a lawsuit about oh. the name. So a couple of us are like, yes, we've wanted out of this name forever. So this is the opportunity. So we play along with the lawsuit. We were insured. The guy in Indianapolis is spending tens of thousands of dollars suing us for this thing. In the meantime, we're just working with the marketing company in the background, building the whole brand, getting the stationery, the envelopes, everything is all, all in place. We've already changed the name of the company, just haven't made any announcement yet. Sure, so, sure. And we come up with uh, live technologies. They brought it to us. You said you rejected it the first time. We did. We went through 70 more names and logo treatments of all these different things. And, and we said, nah, nah, nah. And then they brought it back with a much better logo treatment. Yeah. And we were like, yes, look and feel. of course, this is the most obvious name <laughs> for us. So that's great. Yeah. So, and you know, and uh, in the meantime, the attorneys went out and did a search, found a company in San Jose that was using the name. I called them up and they were like, yeah, we're changing our name. Use it. That's great. <laughs> yeah. That's fortunate. Yeah. Uh, we went ahead and did that and uh, changed the name uh, in, in the middle of a day when yep. the court case came down. We uh, named ourselves Live Technologies at that point. And we had a lot of thoughts about it. And the whole idea of changing this overnight, at the time you did phone book advertising because yeah, yeah. that was about all Yellow that was Yellow pages available. was all we had. Yeah. And so we did a few other ads and some placements, you know, and we looked like the completely new company that mm -hmm. started up in town. Nobody had heard of us before and everything. And it was like, we were getting so many opportunities because we changed this name. People in Nashville uh, quickly caught on, you know, the, uh, the people that we were meeting through doing Philip Morris and some of these other big corporate events. And we were interacting with the top names in the business all knew that name from the beginning, you know, so... And we got a few calls from people who had told us before they would never work with us again right, when right. we were the other company. Right. And now and you have a new name. We so. have a new name. They didn't know any different. Right. So they were right. like, hey, let's call up these new guys. Right, right. Yeah. So we went in and delivered better service the next time, I guess. <laughs> and kept isn't most that, of them around. Isn't that 
amazing, though, the power of brand. Yes, that's, it was very smart of you guys to do that and just unveil it. So out of all these years and all these artists, because I have a list that you gave me yep. of the artists that you have done, that the company's done or you've done personally. Yep. Which artist and your lighting techniques is most important to you or most memorable to you? So there were there were some amazing opportunities on one-offs, you know, that yeah. you go that you really remember that something that really clicked. I can, I can remember an amazing show at the Palace Theater in Columbus, Ohio, with Crosby and Nash. And the funny thing about that was it was supposed to be a Crosby, Stills and Nash right. show, right? And a couple of days before, they call up and said. Stephen Stills isn't coming. It's just going to be a, a Crosby and Nash show. And so <laughs> the the audio guys care about this, you know, because right. they, have, they have a bunch of microphones and everything right, right. that needed to go to, to different places and everything. And so they said, well, so we've got your writer here and it's got a stage plot. Can you send us a new one? Right, without how, the third guy. How you're going to set up. So sure enough, a few minutes later, it comes rolling in. And it's the exact same one with a big X. axe over Stephen Stills. <laughs> so, yeah. They didn't think to move them. No. Since there's only two. Nobody moves. So nobody like, moves. Yeah. Just cross that one out. But that one went really, really well. And one of the things I was doing at that time was I was kind of a signature I had in, in another phase of doing lighting was I like to put a white backdrop up and do colors and patterns and and beams across a white backdrop and really fill out the depth of the stage. That's interesting. So when you do that, are you talking about doing a white backdrop, a white backdrop in light, with yeah. light in that light, or an actual tangible white backdrop? It was a white backdrop, gotcha. and I would light it all night in different colors. So I would ah. have different things that would build the background, and I would do color mixing to make it, you know. Oh, that's cool whatever color I wanted. Right. And then I had beams coming up. At, right. And some other things that I used to play around with, mirror balls turned around the wrong way that would throw patterns up it and everything. And then, you know, straight out theater gobos and stuff like uh -huh, that. So uh -huh. there was a lot of different ways to do a white backdrop. And it was a great... That's cool. It was a great go-to when it's a one-off of something that is going to have a mix of quiet songs and some Rockous. a little bit of yeah. rock and roll, but right. not much in a Crosby right. and Nash. Right, right. It's more full. It's folk. It is. Yeah. So, you know, I just did a, remember really getting into it, enjoying the the show and, and you know, coloring it up and fitting the songs. I knew every single one of right. them, of course, right. you know, because you'd we'd listened to them for 25, 30 years at that point, you know. Right, right. I did this thing that I used to like to do on that backdrop was a big color mix on it and it made it look like a big tie-dye shirt. Yeah. So when they walk off for the encore, I do the big tie-dye shirt thing on the backdrop up there and David Crosby comes walking back on stage and he's staring up at it and he walks up to the mic on the side of it and he goes, do you guys see that too or is it just me being <laughs> kind of high? So, of course he uh, said that. Yeah, so the whole audience breaks up at that, you know, and everything. And I'm like, well, hey, there's a great moment where somebody noticed, you know. Now, when you're doing a one-off show like that, mm -hmm. because I, the things you're telling me are fascinating from the, you, you, you used the word a couple of times in this episode. You said one of my signatures was. Mm -hmm. So as an artist, 
I mean, that's your paintbrush. That's what you're doing. Yep. Right? Now, did you tell them that here's what I'm going to, since it's a one-off show, there's no time, right? So you're just another member of the band that's visual. Yeah. Right? Now, when you'd had that effect on their crowd and their audience, because of the visuals you're doing, when it enhanced them, was it natural for them to say, hey, that was an unbelievable job. Come on the road with us? Did that happen often or how, how'd that work? It would occasionally happen. Yeah. You know, some of them, uh, like that one, for instance, it was just, hey, it's another night on the road and yeah. hey, it was a good gig right. as opposed to uh, sometimes it's a bad gig. Right, right, And right. the guy flashes the lights or puts the spotlight right in their eye all night long. And, and I've they, had those. And I've they, had that. And they yell at the lighting guy. I've over had the to microphone. do that. I've yeah. had to do that. Yeah. You're right. And sometimes you uh, you can't help the spotlight thing. You know, I've been yelled at a few times, but uh, you you can't help it. Right, they're the performer. They got to be lit for the audience I know, to see. Them, I know, you know, I know and know. and sometimes the angle is bad in a building. I, you're I was easy to work with, yeah, wasn't I? Go. You were laser focused on <laughs> on lyrics and and your intensity. Yeah, yeah, you know? probably you committed is the word you use. Committed, yeah. Committed. You paid no attention to lighting. <laughs> yeah. Although I, I would guess you would notice if the lights were out of time. I always yeah, wonder yeah. about yeah, uh, I would. like a, I, when I see a really bad light show and the timing is off and everything, I got to think that the artist is up there in his brain going, why what did he change he the light? Right, what is exactly. going on there? That's not the feeling. I'm not all yellow right, right now. Right. I'm blue. Right. Exactly. You know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Before we wrap up, I'm going to ask you one other question. Yep. Lighting aside, just the live experience, since your brand name reflects that. What's the one performance, can be a single performer, band, whatever, that has most moved you personally in your career? Where you say, it was that show, that night, that time. And what about it shook you? i tell you what, if, I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity I've seen him both with the band and solo. Mm -hmm. But if you've had the ever had the opportunity to see Elton John solo, never have. He's incredible. Really? Yeah. I mean, he 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 fills up the music. Obviously, he's a great piano player and mm -hmm. he plays percussively, mm -hmm. you know, and so there's a lot of there's a lot of bass and feeling and he's there's leads right. and everything in there. So, you know, it's a full flow of of his music, but it's just so much deeper for just a piano and his voice right. to deliver those songs. And I've had the opportunity to do that show twice. And you're the, running, you were doing the L, all the LD direct, yeah, you were just, doing all the lighting direction for Elton on a couple of shows. That's yeah, amazing. Yeah. Just it's incredible, you know? So, and again, it's another scenario where you know all the songs, right? You just, are staying out of the way. Don't try and overpower what he's doing. Right, the old Charlie Watts thing. You yeah. know that that you know he's not he's, he's not the fanciest, but he knows where the rhythm is. Yeah, the the old saying, the old musician saying, "When in doubt, lay out." That goes yeah. for lighting people too. That's great. Yeah. That's great. <laughs>